Well, rarely does a verse, uh, when preparing, when just in my own personal study of the Bible, rarely is there a verse that, I guess the word would be, arrests me, uh, hits me, uh, just causes me to stop in my tracks, like verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That is perhaps one of the most painful and yet under most understated verses in all of the Bible. And, and I don't know about you, the reason why this arrested me was because for some reason over the last two or three years, I've had a front row seat to seeing numerous friends, friends that have, I've walked as a fellow believer since college, members of churches I'm a part of, I have seen them go down that path of turning and walking away from Jesus. And, and, and probably for you as well, you've, you've experienced the same thing. And, and I don't need to rehearse all of the stats and whatnot of what's happening around us, but it seems like right now we are in this, this moment, you could call it a moment of decision that's happening in the world around us where this moment is hitting us all at different points where there's this moment where we go, do I continue to follow Jesus or do I turn and go another way? And, and we've all experienced this in different ways. For some of us, it's friends who we've walked with, friends who may, perhaps you were baptized with, you, you grew up with, you, you, you went to youth group with, you, you went to salt with, you, you go to class with them, coworkers, church members, you know, family members, you know. And, and at times, it's kind of this slow, you can kind of see it coming from a mile away, and it's kind of this slow turn and this slow walking away. And for others, it's just all of a sudden, there just seems to be this change, and then there's a walking away. So how does that happen? Probably as you've processed it, you've said, I, I, I never would have thought this would happen. I, I never thought I would see the day when they would turn and they would walk away. And perhaps here's the reason why also this is important, is probably in yourself you can feel it as well. There are probably moments in your heart where you feel that tug to turn away. When you hear hard sayings. Who could listen to this? How, could, how could I really follow Jesus? Do you really demand this of me? And should I really follow Jesus or should I go a different route? So what we're going to look at today, because John's gospel is about how we find life in Christ, but there is something in us that causes us so easily to walk away from life incarnate, from Jesus. And so I want to get into, in this passage, it's going to unpack some of the dynamics of how this happens. Because while often when that happens, there, there are complex reasons for it, often. But at the end of the day, it's not so mysterious what's going on in our hearts and our souls in the midst of that moment. So we're going to be looking at really how does that happen when we hear a hard saying, when we encounter a hard reality of what God presents to us and what he calls us to. That moment of decision, how do we turn and follow rather than turning and walking away? So what we're going to look at first is the hard truth. The hard truth that we all encounter that brings us to the moment of decision. What is that moment? 
And then second, the handy lie. We have to construct a reality, we'll unpack that, in order to walk away. And we have to make a handy lie to tell ourselves. And third, the healthy response of faith. How can we respond in a healthy way in those moments? We have that moment of decision so that we follow Jesus in faith. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I feel the weight of this passage. Lord, I feel the emotions welling up in me as I think of faces. As I think of conversations. Lord, across this room, we have faces in our minds when we read verse 66. This is not just some abstract story, just something that happened in a crowd 2,000 years ago. Lord, we, we live this reality now. Lord, we know of the wreckage. Some of us are still picking up the pieces. And so, Lord, this morning, would you help us? I think of the words of the hymnist. How easily we turn and we feel it, Lord. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Lord, would you help us this morning to encounter life in you, to take hold of it by faith, Lord, and, and to not to guard us from turning and walking away and to help those who are turning and walking away. And Lord, if there's anything in us today that's beginning to turn and walk away, Lord, would you, by your spirit, call us back and give us life, give us faith, give us trust, give us belief. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, well, the historian David McAuliffe, who um, he actually just passed away about two weeks ago, I was like, ah, oh, hurt my heart, um, wrote John Adams and some of those. Um, I remember once I was watching a lecture, and he just said this out of the blue. He said, listen, they were asking about history and recounting the hard facts of history, and he said, listen, facts are stubborn things. Facts are stubborn things. And, and what he meant by that was there are just things, realities that are truths, that are facts, and they're stubborn because they won't go away. They won't get out of your way. They're there. And so, of course, he was talking about that in terms of the discipline of history. But what happens here is Jesus' disciples are going to come into contact head on with some stubborn facts, some stubborn realities. And it brings them to a moment of decision. Look at verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, now, by the way, disciples here is not just the 12. When you think of Jesus' disciples, this is talking about a crowd, a larger crowd of disciples, and this is being used both, we'll see, referring to the 12 disciples later, but also where it's referring to here kind of broadly. To be a disciple is just simply someone who would follow a rabbi, who would follow a teacher, and so these are, this is a crowd that's begun to follow Jesus. They're beginning to check him out. They're considering, do I follow him? And in considering his claims. And so they say, they heard what Jesus had said, and they said, this is a hard saying. Now, what is that this? What are they referring to? If you're here last week, you heard uh, some pack back in especially verse 56. Jesus says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, that statement is such a stark statement. If you, you must eat my flesh. You must drink my blood. What is Jesus saying there? And see, the crowd gets the weight of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I must be the sustainer of your life. I must be, I'm totalizing in your life. I must be the one that you come to for truth. I must be the one that you come to for 
for joy, for peace, for hope. If you put anything else in front of me, if you make anything else a priority before me, then your life will not go well. You must anchor your life in me. And so the people who had been just wanting him to be perhaps like a, a new kind of king or just kind of like a new kind of guy who would bring like some political clout or whatnot and give them a little bit of of freedom and reprieve from the oppression of Rome. They're going, whoa, 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 whoa. We talked about last week, they wanted the gifts, not the giver. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm the giver of life. You must come to me. You must come to me. And so they realize this and it hits them with this weight. And as, and here's the thing, what Jesus is saying is I sustain, I save, I give life because I am life itself. Now, when Jesus says that, what they're encountering now is they're coming up against that hard truth, that stubborn fact, that reality that is there, that cannot be changed. That truth is as inescapable as the laws of gravity. It's as inescapable as breathing air, that if we want life, if we want joy, if we want satisfaction, if we want eternal life, we must turn and follow Jesus. We must find our life in Christ. That that reality is anchored into the universe, and there's no escaping it. Or to use Jesus' imagery, it's like the laws of eating. If you do not eat and you do not drink, you'll be malnourished and you'll eventually die. Jesus is saying in the same way those laws of physics work in our bodies, if we don't eat and we don't drink, we'll perish in the same way or we'll be sick. In the same way, if we don't eat and drink of Jesus... We will perish. They got the weight of what Jesus was saying. They had to conform their life, their desires to that reality. And that is the key because notice what they say next. They say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? Whoa, 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 Jesus, that's a, that's a hard saying, Jesus. Who can really listen to this? Can you, can you listen to that? Can you listen to that? Re- guys, can you, can you believe what this guy's saying? And, and they begin turning to one another. Who can listen to what he's saying? Now, why is that important, that second part? They recognize it's a hard saying. They recognize what Jesus is presenting. But then notice what they didn't ask, and this is key. They asked, who can listen to this? They didn't ask, is it true? Is it true? They didn't ask that question. Think about it. You don't argue with reality, right? You don't argue with hard truths. You don't argue with stubborn facts. That No one argues with gravity, right? When you're getting ready to like jump off a cliff or you're getting ready to jump out of a plane and they go, put on a parachute, and you're like, no. And you're like, but gravity. And you're like, who can listen to this, right? Like no one ever does that. And they're looking around like, well, I mean, he's got a point there, right? Like you don't, you don't argue with reality. You don't argue with truth. Why? Because we know no matter what we think of gravity, we can't conform reality to our desires. It doesn't matter. You can't just jump out and begin to fly because you desire to. But here's the thing. When it comes to God's hard sayings, when we come to these realities that Scripture presents us, and this has to do with our pride. This has to do with how we use our possessions. This has to do with our sexuality. 
This has to do with our marriages. This has to do with our possessions and how to serve others and to love our neighbor. And on and on we could go. For all of us, different things hit us as hard realities. But no, make no mistake, you will eventually hit a hard reality in Scripture. And in fact, if you never hit hard realities in Scripture, then you're probably not really reading Scripture if you're honest with yourself and you're just kind of making up a God in your own mind that's just a projection of your desires out into the universe. And he's kind of like a Stepford wife. We all will come up against hard sayings that strike us. In fact, actually, when it says this is a hard saying, that word hard in the Greek often is normally translated as cruel. It will seem cruel. It will seem mean, oppressive. And so they say, who can listen to this? And this, again, is key because what John, here's the key, why I go into this. Because what John has been saying since the very beginning of this gospel, understand that John's focus when he's saying, I want you to have life, and that's in chapter 20, verse 31, he kind of gives a thesis statement at the end of the gospel where he says, this is the whole reason why I've written this gospel and recounted the scenes I have and highlighted what I've had is because I want you to know life. I want you to know it in Jesus. And what he begins with at the gospel, and from the very beginning, is he says, Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus is the logos. Jesus is the wisdom of God. In other words, from God himself, he created the world. And then also his son is now entering into creation and making known within creation, within human flesh, what it looks like to live in light of the reality God has created, to live in light of him as a creator and us as his creatures. In other words, you could say, as we, I think a few weeks ago, we said a great definition of discipleship, of following Jesus, is to apprentice in being truly human. Jesus makes known all of the hard truths, all of the realities of the universe. Now, I'm going to come back in a moment to unpack the response more, but this is why Jesus continues in verses 61. He says, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? We'll come back to that. And 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now, why does Jesus say that? Isn't that kind of like a, it's like one of those cryptic things Jesus says, and you're like, I'm not, we were over here, Jesus, and then you said this over here. I'm not sure how they go together. Well, they actually do flow together because what Jesus is saying to them back in the, in the earlier part of this chapter in two verses, let's see, it's in verse, uh, verse 38 and 41, Jesus says, I came down from heaven. So Jesus has just been telling him, I came down from heaven. I'm the manna from heaven. I'm your sustenance. I'm your life. I've come down from heaven. And now what Jesus is doing as he's down from heaven with them incarnate is he's revealing the truths of the universe, the truths of who God is, the truths of how to find salvation, how to find life, because we're in the midst of this world where we don't know up from down, and he's making it known to us. And then what Jesus is saying is, does this, he's asking him, does this change how you reason and you respond to what I'm saying? Because I've come from where there's perfect truth, and it's undefiled. I'm now here with you. I'm making it known to you, and I will eventually then ascend to the Father's right hand where I will be on the throne. And then my kingdom will come, and I will reign. And here's the thing. If I'm, that means this is reality, what I'm saying. Like when I'm bringing this, Jesus is not just making like, here's, here's a few options on the table. Do you want to go this way? Do you go one that? He's saying, listen, I'm making known to you where life is found. And if you look at that and you reject that life that I'm telling you, then the kingdom I'm bringing, it's not going to be heaven on earth for you. It's going to be hell on earth. 
and you're prepping your heart for something that for eternity will not be something, you will, you will want no part of me. And so Jesus is saying, does that change how you think about this? This is the reality of my reign I will bring about to reject what Jesus says is to reject him. It's crazy how those two in John's gospel go together, Jesus' words and Jesus himself. I, uh, to give a, a really clear picture of this, I, I, I know I shared this, I think, about a year ago. Um, let me paint a picture for you of how this works. Uh, my favorite joke of all time. Let me remember this. What did the fish say when it ran into the wall? Damn. Okay. Now, the reason why that is funny is because there are two different ways, right, that, that what, when a fish runs into a wall, why it would say the word damn. Those two reasons why are a picture of what we do when we come up against the realities, the boundaries that God has given us as his creatures. We can either come up against, you know, you're swimming along, you have a desire, and, and you come up, and, and I want that, let's just, let me just paint it broadly. Okay, I want to sleep with that person. And you come up against this boundary, no, I'm married, or no, I'm, I'm, I'm not married right now, and so I'm called to be faithful to my spouse all the days of my life. I'm, whatever that boundary is, you come up against that boundary, and you go, wait, I can't just give into it. And you can either be like the fish that just wails on the wall and says, Darn it, right? And it's just slamming their fists on the wall and going, why is this here? Right? And you can spend your life that way and you come up against it. Or what you can do is you come up against that wall and you go, that's a damn. All right? And you wrestle with it. And, and what does this mean? But okay, I'm going to accept that this is a damn here. It's here for my good. There's a reason why it's there. And so I'm going to find life here. And, and so that, that looks like a life of going, okay, I'm not going to give in to my desires. I'm going to kind of repent, turn from that, and I'm going to find life here. In other words, there is both a fleshly response, which is just to get angry and just refuse to accept the reality and go and just wail. And, the, and what we're going to look at in the moment is the way we wail at that in a modern day is we go, I'm going to do everything I can to conform God's law and God's word to my desires rather than by the Spirit conforming my desires to God's word. Because what Jesus says next in verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. I've brought this reality. I've brought this reign. I'm going to eventually ascend to conquer, and this is going to be the reality I bring. And it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying if you live by your, just your base instincts and your base desires and just all these things that are welling up in you and you don't even know where they're coming from, but they become your source of truth, they guide your life, they drive you, then what will happen is that flesh is no help at all in finding life. And so what Jesus is saying here is you will come to this moment and will you trust what I say? Will you believe me? Will you trust that I am? He says, I have come. I have spoken to you, our spirit and life, the words I have spoken to you. He says, my, my words are not spirit and flesh. My words are spirit and life because I've come to give you life. Will you trust me when you come up against that hard reality, when you come up against that hard truth? Will you trust me that, yes, it feels like this rough thing, but it is there to safeguard you, to safeguard life? And we can either 
rail against it in the flesh. Or we can begin to seek the Spirit and begin to ask God to give us faith. That's why Jesus then, he goes on down in verse 65 and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. I think in the context here, I know there's, there could be a big debate about what's going on there, this whole like election and, and all of that. Here's what, what I want to say is clear here. In the context, what Jesus is saying is, why can't you come? Why can't you come? Because your life is driven by your flesh. And when your life is driven by your flesh, you are enslaved. This isn't saying like this thing, like, you know, it's almost like you're sitting in a chair, you're strapped down, you're tied down, therefore you can't. Jesus is saying, you can't come. No, what it is is you can't because you won't. It's more like your nature is this. You're sitting in a chair, God says, come. Jesus says, listen, come to me. And what you're doing is sitting there in the chair, and your nature says, I won't. So in that sense, you can't. You're not tied down. God's not like sovereignly tying you down, go, well, until I let you go. No, by our nature, we won't. Therefore, we can't. And Jesus is saying, if you build your life driven by that nature, driven by those desires, giving yourself over to them, then you never can come to me because you never will come to me. Jesus is making clear to them why he's saying these hard things. He's saying you're not wrestling with just some truth claim. You're not wrestling just with some ideology. You're wrestling with truth himself. Life itself. So before we look at how do we take hold of it by faith, let's look at how we construct instead, instead of accepting the hard truth, instead we construct a handy lie. So the second part, handy lie, verse 66 then. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. How does it happen? And how do we know if we're beginning to turn and walk away? Uh, first, again, notice these are disciples, meaning they were following Jesus, checking him out, but it doesn't mean at this point that they're like these, like on the level of like saved, it's just describing the fact that they're following Jesus. And here's why it's important, because here's the thing, hear this clearly, you can identify as. This is, this is where this is terrifying. This is terrifying for me. You can identify as a pastor. You can identify as a Christian. You can identify as a disciple. You can identify as a follower of Jesus. You can do all the serving. You can give all the money. You can give all the time. You can do all the nice things. You can even for a time say the right things, act the right way, wear the right regalia, right? Whatever it is, have the right patterns of life and all these things and still not have faith in Jesus. And to be clear, what is emphasized here at this point in John's gospel is if you reject what Jesus says, you reject Jesus. That's what it means to walk away. Now, here's where it's important in our day because how do we legitimate walking away. I don't think we can just reject truth. We have to give a reason. We have to legitimate why we go down the path we do. And here's what I'm just going to put out there as a, what, where I'm reading this is I think in the first century, when they would walk away, they would often walk away because these people were coming from a pagan background or maybe at most a Jewish background. So Jesus is like this new thing. So you're kind of like an outsider coming in and you're checking it out. And then you go, you know, what? I'm not going to like, I don't think I'm going to add that on to my Judaism. I don't think I'm going to add that on to my pagan beliefs. I don't think it's kind of like they check them out and they go, okay, I'm going to walk away from Jesus. They go, option B, not, not for me. Here's the thing. In our day, when we walk away, largely we do it from inside Christendom. 
And so when we do this, we want to walk away in a way that we can still tell ourselves, I'm still good. Not many people just go, I just rejected the whole thing outright. We want to still have kind of like the Jesus name. So in the back of our mind, we can always fall back on that. So our walking away looks a very specific way in our day. So here's what I'm going to unpack. I'm going to give you six. I'm going to have to hit them quickly. Six, you could say steps of what it looks like in our day as we walk away. And the first four are where we kind of deconstruct the hard truths that we see in scripture. And then the, sec- the last two are going to be where we then construct a handy lie by which we can live. So what I want to say in reading this is this is not red meat. This is me examining my soul and going, how far along this path am I? And I think for all of us, we have to ask questions as we go through these going, do I find myself going there? Because this can safeguard it. So first, it starts with listening to desire as truth. It starts with listening to our desires. Okay, just let me be honest. The moment of decision when we encounter hard truths is usually because we don't like what God's word, because we have a desire to sleep with someone, we have a desire to walk away from someone, we have a desire to cheat someone, right? To get something, to have something. But instead of addressing that desire with hard sayings, what we do is we, we tend to coddle it. We tend to kind of, you know, keep it on the side and kind of whisper it sweet nothings, right? We just kind of keep it like it's a pet in our, in, our, in our house, in our home. And it takes up residence. In fact, usually this is why we see the sayings again of the Bible as cruel. And this is why then when we hear them, we take up immediate offense. Why do we take up offenses? Because we're assessing them subjectively from our own viewpoint of our own desires and standing in judgment over them and saying that offends my sensibilities, it offends what I want. So think of Genesis 3. Just think of this as I'm going through these as Genesis 3. It starts with we allow the serpent to slither into the garden of our life. We allow it to slither into the garden of our soul and make a home. So first, what desires are you feeding? Are you coddling? Are you even rationalizing? Second, then we, it leads to then taking offense towards the hard sayings of the Bible. Okay, this is Satan's oldest trick in the book, and literally in the book, right? What are the first words that Satan says? Right? He comes slithering into the garden. He takes up residence in the garden of your soul, right? And he's making a home there. And then at some point, when you're presented with the word of God, then what does he say? He asks something. Does God's word really say? Did God really say that? And what happens is because we want the desire, we want this thing. Remember, we've said this before, when our, when our heart wants something, when our soul wants something, when it desires something, what will happen is we will begin to rationalize any intellectual track after that. Because the heart wants what the heart wants, right? Woody Allen. And so what will happen is we'll say, Satan will say, did God really say that? Is that fruit really so deadly? Just have a taste. Did God really make that claim on your sex life? Did God really make that claim on how you're to love your neighbor, to commit to your spouse? Did God really make that claim? Did he really say that about sin, repentance, and obedience? See, what happens when we allow desire to enter our souls like the serpent and it takes up residence? It begins to whisper and whisper these questions that make us read God's word and hear God's word through this lens of suspicion. Did he really say that? And here's the thing. You can always find. You can Google a verse and you can put in your desire and you can always find someone who will reinforce your desire. That's the trouble with having too many PhDs. 
<laughs> trying to always find something new to say. But did God really say, just take a bite? He's keeping life from you. I hear that whisper, guys. I hear that whisper every day. Do you hear it? Where are you tempted by that whisper? Third, then we begin separating God's word from God's, or God, the word of God from the word made flesh. This is where the blinking light should be going off in your dashboard. And this is so incredibly important. I've been saying it so far. John's been saying it throughout his gospel. When you pit Jesus against the Bible, when you pit God, and I can have a relationship with God, and I can walk with God, and I can know God, and you say things like the love of God, or I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I'm not about those rules. I'm not about those hard truths. I'm not about those hard facts. I, I'm not about those, those walls, those dams that are in my life, those boundaries that are in my life. I can separate the two. And I can have one without having to listen to the other. If we look at the Bible and we question the Bible, then it becomes we can distance our spiritual claims to Jesus from the Bible. When we get that, that's the Rubicon. Because what happens is then we begin telling ourselves this lie. But the problem is this passage makes clear you can't separate Jesus from listening to his word. Why? Again, because the word came and was made flesh. Jesus took on flesh. He shows us. Jesus isn't just like hatefully telling people oppressive speech. Jesus is telling them words of life. He's making known to them life. And as a holy God, Jesus will not be party to sin, even when my soul wants to be. Why? Because it's death. Fourth, we problematize the hard saying community. I know this is a little clunky the way I'm saying it, but I'm trying to use the framing of the, the sermon. We problematize the community around us that would and before was reinforcing to us the truth of the Bible. This is why, why, why you will immediately see when somebody goes down this road where they will begin rejecting their family, their church, their friends. Because here's the thing, if we choose not to follow Jesus' hard sayings, we will go down a path, and here's the key, that does not work. We will go down a path of reality, giving our lives to something, pursuing desires that can't fulfill their promises, that don't actually give us that joy, that hope, that thing that we're just constantly going for, and it's always out of reach. And what happens is our relationships begin to fall apart. Our life begins to become a mess because we begin living outside of how we're designed to live. If you abandon your spouse and your kids, it will not go well with you. You will experience, begin to experience spiritual death. So what do we do then with that guilty conscience when we go down that road? Why can't I make it work? Why can't I just be happy? I'll tell you why. Because there are people in my life who will constantly reinforce to me when I want to get rid of that wall, when I want to get rid of that stubborn reality. There are people around me who will say, no, it's there. And so what I have to do is I have to silence them. And what I, the way that you silence is that you problematize. You, you marshal all of the times, the little slights, the little things that were off kilter, the little things that they did, and even the big wrongs, and you marshal them in order to disqualify not only them and their voices in your life, reinforcing those truths, but you also use it then to problematize and delegitimate and disqualify God's word broadly. At the end of the day, in my mind, the way that this works is so that what we're doing is we need, to, in order to walk away, we need to be able to say, no, 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 the demon is not in me, it's in you. 
We all go down this road very easily. In the next chapter, actually, they will do exactly this to Jesus. When he speaks to them, then they say, you have a demon. You have the demon. It's not us. You have it. Do you find yourself critiquing, only seeing the bad, unthankful, bitter? Do you find yourself going down that road, critiquing? Listen, here's what I want to say. There are legit... I don't, want to, I don't want you to hear that minimizing where there's legit hurt. But also Scripture presents that if we don't move towards forgiveness, if we don't move towards the grace of God, if we don't move towards healing, what happens, it says in Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. There is a root of bitterness that makes its way deep into our souls. And here's what I want you to hear. Do not allow, if you're going down that road where you say, someone's hurt me, someone's betrayed me, do not allow what somebody has done to you or somebody has done around you to rob you of what Jesus has done for you. Do not let that root of bitterness go down in your relationships because it just keeps going down further and further till it just shatters the foundation and the bedrock of your soul. Lastly, then we begin constructing a handy lie. First, by we create a handy lie echo chamber. Who can listen to this? Who? Can you? Can you? I, I can't listen. I can't listen to it either. Can you listen? I can't listen to it. They're wrong. You, we go around what we have to do if the reality around us isn't working because we're living outside of God's design for reality. We need to surround ourselves with people who reinforce the narrative and the story we begin telling ourselves because we have to explain it's not me. It's something else around me. And we limit our interactions to only those who will follow the same desires, the fellow offended. Where we can re-narrate the story of our lives, legitimating the choices we've made. And again, you can always find someone who will do that. And we create not just an echo chamber, but we're creating a new reality where we can pursue our desire above all else. And we limit our life and our social interactions, our social media, or whatever, to the people around us who will just reinforce and say, you do you, YOLO, right? And then lastly, we live the handy lie, begin to live the lie, but it doesn't work well, and we're always running after the next experience, the next high, but that desire doesn't satisfy like it promised, and worse, it creates relational, psychological, spiritual problems that death and why? Because the only guiding principle of that echo chamber is just you do you, you follow your desires. And that doesn't work in real life, in reality, because where does my claim on my desires and your claim on your desires, eventually they do this. And that dam of reality that was there now becomes a person. And what happens is, though, you have to keep isolating and keep isolating, and your life gets smaller and smaller, and that circle gets smaller and smaller as people, even who before were with you, begin to point out the destruction in your path until you're just left alone in this cold tomb of your own desires. Just like in the garden, what begins with a whisper ends in isolation. So here's the thing. What Jesus is saying here is we have a choice. Either conform our lives to the hard truths, to the reality of his kingdom, or conform reality to your desires and have a hard life. 
So how do we respond then instead to the hard things in belief and avoid the handy lie? The healthy response. Every generation, again, has hard truths that seem harsh and cruel. We could start listening to them. I don't have time to go in and address each of them. I wish I could, but we have some desire. We wish we could conform reality to our desires so we could have it. But the disciples show the way. Look at how they respond in verse 67 through 69. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Can you imagine Jesus? Have you ever had that moment in your soul where you just can feel Jesus turning to you and going, do you want to walk away? Do you want to go away as well? There's that moment of decision. And then it says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What happens here is they name Jesus. John says at the end of his gospel that you will know and you will be saved by the name of Jesus. And what's the name of Jesus they see here? You are the Holy One of God. You are the one who reveals the Holy God of the universe, who created all things, who's given us the law, who's given us commandments, who's shown us how to live. And where else can we go but to listen to you? You're just un, you're making known what is true where life is to be found. And so they start with this place of just committing. I will start here and I will proceed by faith. The disciples here and at this place where they're like, like, I don't know, they walked away, but when you said that hard truth, I was like, yippee, right? Like they're wrestling with this. But they go, but by faith, I'm gonna start there. So first thing that we do that the disciples teach us is when we encounter hard sayings, we embody this famous saying throughout church history called faith-seeking understanding. Faith-seeking understanding. This is, look, when they, they say, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. From Augustine to Anselm, I believe C.S. Lewis, all throughout church history, there's been this phrase where they say, we proceed by faith-seeking understanding. We start by accepting God's word by faith, and then we proceed to try to grow in our understanding of why God has given us that law. We don't start with just kind of like being offended by it, and so therefore I won't listen, and then and I'm just going to go my own way. But instead, what we do by faith is we accept, and then we wrestle with it, and we work it out over time. Remember, the disciples have been following Jesus. They've been walking with Jesus. They knew, if nothing else, when they follow him, that it works out over time, that it does give them life, that it does give them joy, even though at the time they can't say it. So here's the thing, what I would say. Where you have temptations... Your desires are pulling you away where it's like whether it's sex, whether it's control, whether it's greed, whether it, whatever it is that's pulling you away. Here's what I would say. What you do is you go, I am going to, by faith, follow God, what God has clearly made known, what he's spoken. And as I do that, I'm going to prove his goodness. I'm going to prove his goodness that in the midst of the difficulty of this, where it feels like dying to myself, that he has given me life. He has shown me the path of light. His word is a light unto my feet where it would be dark. And so make it your quest to prove when I stay and I work through my marriage, I find life. I see the generations coming in fr from me down the line that will not have this just destruction in the midst of it. Whatever it is, Seek to prove by faith, seeking understanding that God is good, he is true, and conform your desires to his word. And that's why the disciples say, we know one thing when we follow you, when we have been seeking understanding, but starting with faith, we, we, they are able to say, these aren't cruel words, but your words are words of eternal life. You will come to see that. Second, learn to doubt the doubts. They say, to whom else shall we go? We have come to know that you are life, right? So here's what I, what I mean by doubt the doubts. 
how often do we critically analyze Christianity? We critically analyze the claims of the Bible. Does God's word really say that? Okay, I'm going to find a whole bunch of people that can critique it and tear it apart. How often do you critique your desires? See, our doubts come up because we doubt at the core of us. They're not just usually intellectual. They're emotional because what happens is we doubt that God actually has a better plan for us than our desires do. And so it produces doubt in us where we don't trust God. And so instead, what we should do is we should examine our desires and go, wait, if I did give myself over to that, just play it out. Like if I did give myself over to that and I gave into it, okay, maybe there's a moment of satisfaction. And then from that, what will occur? And critically analyze the promise that that desire is giving you, that, that desire, the picture that's painting for you. Critically doubt the doubts. Why do I doubt God's love? Why do I doubt God's word? Doubt the doubt and the thing that is making you question. What I would say, instead of problematizing God's word, instead of problematizing God's people, problematize your desires. Imagine that. Moving on. This is why, by the way, Jesus, I believe, ends then with verse 70 and 71. He talks about Judas. Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Judas gave himself over to greed and look at the outcome. And the disciples, in seeing Judas, they would talk about him later in the New Testament where it's like examine and see the outcome, play it out ahead of time. If I give myself over to cheating that partner out of a business deal, where will it go? Lastly, cultivate truthful community. Uh, They say, we have believed. Peter says that we have believed. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Is he's saying, we, us, I have people around me who reinforce the truths. Imagine they've been saying, who can believe this? Who can believe this? Who can believe? And he says, we have believed. And he has men, he has people around, men and women around him who are also shaking their heads. And we believe. We start by faith. And we need people in our lives like that when the hard moments come that we turn to and they go, we trust. We trust by faith. We will be tempted to avoid the hard sayings. And therefore, we need people in our lives to deconstruct our handy lies, Right? We need people who will call into question. And here's, here's what I would say. I think here's the key to this is that you have people who are different than you. And, and, and here's what I mean by this. Um, if you have, if I have people who are different, who are the same as me, they will tend to have actually the same desires they want to go after. When you have people in your life who are from different generations, when you have people in your life who are of, of different backgrounds, different socioeconomic classes, different educational attainments, On and on and on, when you have people in your life who are different, who are also followers of Jesus, what happens is they become like they see these angles in your life, these these kind of blind spots that you wouldn't normally see. And especially if you're someone younger, like women, when you're at that that bonfire and you get to know women who are older and you're struggling with things, they can say, I've followed Jesus. If you're talking to somebody older in another generation, they can say, I follow Jesus and I can tell you how that will work out. But also we have the wisdom of them just merely not having every generation has different hard sayings that they struggle with, and the different generations actually are able to point out, hey, that's actually coming up against God's word. In other words, we need people, a diverse range of voices and backgrounds who are able to speak into our life, different temperaments, personalities, affinities. And so what I would say, it's not bad to have obviously shared affinities, but in the age of echo chambers, we have to guard that even more. So we need those other voices. So I just want to, again, come back to when we did the announcements earlier. There's, there's just the women's event, but there's men's event coming up, CGs, basics, like, are all the different things that are coming up. Get connected and begin forming those relationships. You need them in your life. So let me end here. How 
do we know Christianity is not just another ideology? Here's what this makes me think. Okay, they, I'm saying don't construct a handy lie. I'm going to go here and you go, well, how do I know Jesus isn't just another handy lie that I'm being given, an ideology that's just meant to brainwash me? Why is his the truth? Why should I trust him? Because Jesus, what John has been saying throughout the gospel, is more than just another ideological truth claim. Jesus is truth incarnate. Jesus is the only teacher who didn't say, let me unveil to you truth, but Jesus is the only one who said, I am the truth, and therefore I am the way and I am the life. Scripture tells us Jesus is God, the creator of reality, who drew near, and why did he draw near? Because he desires life for you, for me. And yes, that life comes through accepting hard sayings, but when we see him and when we know him, we realize these sayings are words of eternal life. We know it because he's truth himself. He's truth who lived and lived obediently according to those hard sayings. And he went before us and he took on our sin and he took the hard path. He took on the hard reality of our sin and death to give us life a life free from slavery to our desires, life free to joy, peace, and sure hope. So when the hard sayings, when those moments come, by faith seek understanding. Doubt the doubts. Surround yourself with community to lean into. For to whom else shall we go? He has the words of eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is A revealing passage. Lord, I, I pray for our, our souls. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Apart from your grace, apart from you, Spirit, how can we turn in faith? Lord, we are dependent on you. Lord, open our eyes. Reveal in us now if there are desires that we're beginning to run after. If we're turning right now, Lord, if we're beginning to walk away, Lord, wherever we might be at, we're all in different places around this room. Lord, would you arrest us, Spirit? Would you open our eyes? Would you also help us to see that these, yes, they're stubborn facts. Yes, they're hard realities. All these things, but they are life. And at the end of the day, those things that rub up against us as we turn and we don't just stare at those things and try to take hold of those things and fight you, Lord. As we wrestle over time, we see the richness, the beauty, the life. Lord, would you help us have that wisdom? Lord, would you surround us with one another where we experience that grace, we experience that that support, that strengthening. Lord, we have that spirit towards one another, where we have, yes, fierce convictions, where we're able to stand on your word, but also, Lord, just with, it comes with a velvet glove, Lord, with your grace and your patience. Spirit, would you give us, gift our body with that? Lord, banish from us any just pride or arrogance or self-righteousness. Make us the people who find our righteousness in Christ and seek life in him so that we might not just conform reality to our desires, but, Lord, we be a people who conform our desires to your truth. And there we would find life, and you would be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.